You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to On Boys Parenting Podcast, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison, founder of boysalive.com. What if I told you there is a totally new way to go to school? Whether your fourth to eighth grader looks forward to going to school or they complain constantly about being bored. Prisma is an online alternative to traditional school for those fourth to eighth graders. Prisma knows that most of today's kids will end up working in jobs that don't even exist yet. So they focus on developing the necessary 21st century skills like creativity, critical thinking, and collaboration rather than having kids memorize facts and take standardized tests. Prisma offers a flexible curriculum that adapts to every child's interests and learning speed. You know that Jen and I often talk about how important it is to encourage your son's own unique passions. Prisma's expert coaches do just that. That means your child gets to learn what they're curious about, and they're never left behind. Prisma is an innovative online school for fourth to eighth graders, giving them the flexibility to be their best selves while developing the skills they need for a successful future. Admissions for fall 2021 are now live and filling fast. Go to joinprisma.com to schedule a call or learn more. School just got a whole lot more interesting. That's joinprisma.com. Oh, dear listeners, this is a moment that I've waited for for a long time. You know, writing a book not only requires the skill of putting words to paper, it also requires vision, tenacity, pure grit, and knowing your subject matter, which our guest today definitely does. This is what I've been waiting for because at last I'm able to interview my dear friend and podcast co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink, as the author of a newly released book. And we're both going to start crying right now. Just I'm going to gonna be cry before it's my turn to talk. Oh to my gosh. I didn't complete, think this was going to hit me this hard. To be completely transparent, dear listeners, we are both crying right now. Jen definitely knows her subject matter. Having raised and raising four boys, 
And she also has the gift and skill of being able to interpret a complex subject. Yes, that's your eight to 12 year old voice <laughs> in a way that is wise, that's funny, and most of all, that's reassuring, especially for moms that are going through this phase of boyhood for the first time. Congratulations, my dear friend, on the release of book number one. Thank you. Thank you. Vision, tenacity, grit. Holy cow. You did it. It occurs to me as you were saying that, that those are the same skills and characteristics that we need as parents of boys, as people who love boys. This vision, the bigger picture of where we're trying to go and the tenacity and the grit to every single day keep working towards that, no matter how badly the moment before went. Very similar process. Right. (laughs) Very similar. And and you said parenting boys requires a unique skill set. So what are some of those other skills that it requires? And and all of it is the underlayment of it all is loving your boy, loving the awkward, the embarrassing, all the things, loving your boy. And please tell us the skill set that we need (laughs) along with the love. Maybe the love is mostly the easy part. What about this unique skill set? You know, the unique skill set is something that I did not know when I had boys and I have kind of been gathering tools for the toolbox as I've gone along. And now that I'm this far, 20 some years into parenting boys, I think the first thing that you need is knowledge and understanding of male development and of what boys experiences are in the culture and in society. We talk about it on the podcast all the time, but I didn't know and understand anything about male development and the fact that generally speaking, males mature cognitively at a different pace than females. That's a huge piece of information. And if somebody gives that to you when your son is two or when your son is eight, that can shift everything in how you interact with and perceive your son. So uh, that's not so much a skill as it is, I consider it essential knowledge for the job. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Skill-wise, being able to listen being able to communicate on their level. Listening to endless conversations about Fortnite and Minecraft. And lawnmowers and snowmobiles and four-wheelers. Yes, yes, yes. And um, the ability to keep your own sense of humor about the whole thing. And sometimes as crazy as you are feeling, you just have to look around at the absolute ridiculousness of your life and laugh at it and know that it's not going to last. I used to take pictures of just random stuff I would discover in my house that I wouldn't know why. Like, I think it's on um, Building Boys somewhere. There's a picture of a stick of deodorant in my freezer. I didn't know why it was there. Do you want to know why it was there? I do, because that's something I've this, never witnessed before. 
Well, the story was that one of the boys had it in um, his car. He was older than 12, obviously, but had it in his car, which was a tip that I had learned from an experienced mom. If you have tween and teen boys, keep a stick of deodorant in your car because they will inevitably forget, right? So when you're driving to school or wherever, you're like, "Ooh, you're kind of ripe. You just throw the stick of deodorant at them. So they adopted this. But guess what happens if you leave a stick of deodorant in your car in the summertime? It gets mm-hmm. mushy. Mm-hmm. So put it in the freezer. Perfectly logical. Perfectly logical. And that's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily know when you are a middle-aged mother of boys. (laughs) So you have to be open to learning from them. Yes, indeed. And you know, it occurs to me that we have not yet revealed the title of your book. Our listeners are probably wondering, what are they talking about? And where can I find it? What is the title? The book is called The First Time Mom's Guide to Raising Boys, Practical Advice for Your Son's Formative Years. So it is really aimed at moms of boys ages 8 to 12 who are going through those tween years for the first time with their son. And the thinking behind this is that that is a big time of transition when a lot of us mothers struggle because we don't understand what is going on. Why does our, you know, once cuddly son who used to look at us and say, I want to marry you, mom. Why has everything changed? Mm -hmm. And is this a problem? Do I need to do something about this? Uh, What do I need to do? What do, what should I worry about? What can I not worry about? That's what this book is designed to help you with. And this is really the age when there has to be a shift in your parenting, in your approach. There's some things that you need to un learn. Talk about that. My favorite chapter to write, I think, um, was was chapter two. And it was it's called um, for mom determining parenting goals and defining your values. And at first, you know, it might seem out of place in a book about parenting, because you're like, yeah, 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 just just tell me what to do with my son. But what it really is about is that a lot of the things that we learned as we were growing up, even if you didn't think you were learning it, you learned how to parent by what you experienced as a child. Mm -hmm. Those responses, what you heard from your parents, what you heard from the other adults around you kind of become your default response. So if whenever you were upset, somebody's like, oh, don't cry. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, come on, I'll give you something to cry about those kinds of responses. If you don't take the time to sort of think about and process that you will end up hearing very similar things coming out of your mouth. So this is where, uh, it's a chance to look at the bigger picture and think about, okay, what kind of a, a person do I want to raise? And then what strategies will get me there? Mm-hmm. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, we do maybe do some of that work when our kids are younger. And when they hit middle school, when they hit, you know, this age, eight to 12, the issues become more complex and a little bit closer to home. So I'm thinking about friendship dynamics and you know, your son suddenly has his own opinion about things. That's really different to interact with and work with because it 
it's like it's in our memory banks. It's in our visceral cellular memory of I remember when I had a fight with my best friend and when he's having a fight with his best friend, it it awakens maybe things that you haven't thought about for a long time in a different way than it does, you know, when you're trying to get your five-year-old to put his shoes on, that's completely different. And now it's suddenly so much more complex. That is an excellent point. First of all, there's the developmental shifts that are going on between eight and 12. So in the first part of the book, I'm talking about some of those changes. And part of it is that as your boy's um, brain grows, he is more able to look at different perspectives to have ideas that are different than yours. And so when your kid starts hitting these tween years and he's challenging you on things, that was a big trigger for me, Janet, because mm -hmm. it can sound like disrespect to your ears, especially if you grew up in a family that was more the, the model of kids do what they are told, period. Yes. And so to think about that a little bit and to realize that it is actually completely normal, developmentally appropriate for kids to have questions, to experiment with different viewpoints, to talk about that. And it doesn't mean they don't love you. doesn't mean they don't respect you. It means they're intellectually curious and growing. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. And then what you said just a little bit ago, um, most of us don't remember, you know, our preschool years. We might have little few memories of first grade and kindergarten, but by the time you get around to, you know, first crushes and incidences with teachers when you're around fifth grade, we remember that mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. So it does become more complex. So if your son is left out by a friend group, that can trigger all kinds of feelings that you may have had about being excluded. And it gets tricky because you wanted to set aside your stuff, process your stuff so that you can help him without really responding to what happened to you 20 or 30 years ago. Right. And it's not easy. No, it's not easy to do. It's that. not easy, not easy at all. But the nice thing is when you have a book like this, or you listen to the podcast, you can think about these things in a time when you are not stressed, when it's not happening, because in that moment, no, you're not going to be able to do it at that time. It's in those quiet moments where you get a chance to process it and think through it and kind of experiment with different responses in your head. And it takes some time doing that before you're able to apply it in the real life, in the moment situation mm -hmm. with your son. Mm -hmm. You know, I've known you for quite some time now. We've had many conversations. And what I know about you is that you never shy away from the tough stuff. <laughs> you're always willing to talk about it on our podcast. You're, I think you're always the one that asks the more, uh, the, the more, challenging questions. <laughs> and so in your book, you also don't shy away from tough subjects. In fact, you have a whole chapter on tough subjects. What are some of those subjects and uh, what are your thoughts? There's a whole section on tough subjects covering everything from uh, divorce and relationship conflict Obviously, your tween is not going through a divorce, but if you and his dad are, uh, you and your partner are, that affects your child. And as somebody who went through a divorce 
when her oldest son was right in this age range at 11, let me tell you, it affected him greatly. Mm. Something to think about. I love that this section is in here because it acknowledges like life isn't perfect and you parent through this stuff anyway. So divorce, relationship conflict. We talk about substance use and addiction in the family and how that can influence all the members. Uh, Certainly we had um, Jessica Leahy on the podcast a little while ago talking about um, her book, The Addiction Inoculation, which dives much, much deeper into that Mm -hmm. subject. This is very much a basic guide and you can go deeper, but we acknowledge that these things happen. Um, Talking about mental health issues in the family. You can raise a fantastic kid, even if you have depression, anxiety, bipolar. And that's the other thing that I like about this is I acknowledge them straight up and say, just because these things are happening in your life doesn't mean you can't have a good family. I love that, Jen. Yeah. And then uh, the last section of the book, we also get into the kind of the things going on in the world. It is not easy to talk to our children about big picture things like violence. You know, school shootings happen, mass shootings happen. Racism is part of the world and we're seeing it happen everywhere. And if you somehow think that you can avoid having these tough conversations with your son, I am here to tell you that you can't. Mm -hmm. By the time your son is hitting his tween years, he sees what's going on in the world. He has questions. And so if you don't talk about them with him, he will find his information elsewhere. It's the same conversation that we've had about pornography mm-hmm. before. And I'm certainly mm-hmm. not equating, you know, climate change, racism, pornography. Those are all different things, but they're similar in that they're tough for parents to talk about. And so sometimes we think it's easier not to. Right, right. Well, it reminds me of our interview with Sonora Ja, who wrote how to raise a feminist son and the conversations that she had consistently around media and what, Mm -hmm. you know, and co-viewing all of those things that we have to get in there and be willing to have the conversations. And are you going to have, you know, deep, meaningful conversations every single day? No, you're not. But being aware and noticing, Hey, what are, you know, what memes are you looking at? What TikTok are you looking at? What's, what's going on and being willing to engage. You have to as parents, dear listeners, because you have, as you said, you know, you have your family values, you have this idea of the person you want to raise. And those conversations are, are pushing him in the direction of how you want him to be as an adult. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is 
because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. One of the things that I hope comes through in the book is that you don't start by talking at him about these topics. You really have to listen more than you talk, especially at the beginning. And that can be so hard when you have an opinionated 10 or 11 year old boy who is telling you what he thinks about sexism, for instance, Mm -hmm. Um, because you are by definition, probably about 20 years, at least older than this child. You have much more life experience. So you have to just kind of take some deep breaths and learn to listen, because if you don't give your son sort of space to express himself and uh, share what he's seeing, what he's perceiving first, and you just lecture at him and tell him what to think, he will shut down. He will Mm -hmm. not share with you organically the things that he's looking at online. And, you know, that doesn't work then. If you don't express an openness, a willingness to listen and to consider his viewpoint, he is not going to consider yours. Exactly. And what I tell my family coaching clients is, Stay in the position of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Just simply be curious. Oh, what, you know, what led to you thinking that? Oh, what influenced your, where did you get that idea? And just be, you know, be a researcher, be curious. And, and that can help you also to stay out of the emotionally triggered place. And remember that you do have different perspectives. So when it comes to these conversations about social issues, especially, right, your son does not know what happened 20, 30, 50, 100 years before he was born. So you have important perspective that you can share with him. But at the same time, you don't know what his daily experience is like. Mm -hmm. You don't fully understand um, what's happening in schools, what it's like to be a kid today. You might remember what middle school was like, but there are differences today. So if you can remain open and curious to each other's perspective, uh, you can can learn from each other in a way that's, otherwise you end up shutting down conversation. And that Mm -hmm. is not what you want to do before your boy goes into the teen years. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a point that I'm trying to make in this book as well. You know, if you start this process when your son is, eight to 12, and you lay the groundwork for this, it's going to be a whole lot easier when he hits the teen years Mm -hmm. than if you just keep punting this all down the line and I'll deal with it later. Yeah. Cause you're going to be dealing with trying to get his bedroom door open and get him to come out and talk to you. I want to just plug in this little anecdote because I think it applies to what you were saying about this perspective. And, Mm -hmm. and what we don't even realize as, you know, whatever age adult we are, there's, there are things that our kids are like, whoa, I had my niece over a couple months ago and she's in first grade and we were unpacking a box of my mom's dishes 
and she okay. was loving this experience of unpack, you know, gets to unpack great grandma's dishes. And we open the box and we start to pull out the dishes and they're wrapped in newspaper. Ah. And she got so excited. She said, newspaper, I've always wanted to see a newspaper. She was absolutely blown away by the actual physical newspaper. Oh, I, I want to bang my head right now on this microphone. Oh, I and I talked to her dads and they're like, yeah, we don't have newspapers in the house. We, you know, that's not. I have two so newspapers on my table right now. I oh, never so felt so old. Jen. I never so felt so old. But you know what? It's these little things that we don't even think of until our kids, you know, spill the beans about it. But that just gave me such a pause of, wow, there is so much in our experience. You know, it's the kids who are like, how did you live without social media? How did you live without the internet? And it's like, you know, we actually did fine. <laughs> Do you want to know what one of my kids said the other day? What? actual quote the other day and I'm not exactly sure which one it was because there were multiple uh, kids in the kitchen at the time and by kids remember I'm talking about teenagers older teenagers and uh, he his phrase was um, back when they were setting up society in the 1950s Whoa, back you know? when they were setting up society <laughs> in the 1950s whoo Take a breath. <laughs> what did you say? In the context, it was not important to get into that. Like it was more of a, a philosophical discussion, but it it was good context for me. Like 1950s is forever ago to these kids. It is prehistoric history. Which is part of why, for instance, talking about racism, if you have a white son, as I do, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I remember feeling like, well, civil rights happened, that's done, that's over, here mm -hmm. we are. Mm -hmm. I have since learned that is not at all the case. There are so many things that we haven't addressed, but I felt like that. Now my kids are 20 years after me, yet all of that feels so ancient to them. Mm -hmm. So when we have these discussions, when they see protests happening around the country, they need older people to help them understand the history and the context because what they are seeing is not necessarily their experience. And so we have to help them. And that just speaks to the necessity of having multi-generational gatherings and yes. relationships. Yes, um, we were fortunate this last weekend, we had a very large multi-generational gathering because I have a very large family and it was fantastic to see the relationships between the generations. Mm. My oldest son could not come home for this event um, because he was working in another state, but I learned from my sister-in-law, one of his aunts, that sometimes he calls and talks to her. Oh. 
That warms my heart to watch my 20 year old son have interactions with his, you know, nine and 10 year old cousins and to see my children experiencing these relationships and to know that they have all of these adults around them to provide similar and yet different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Who means the, the world to me. Yeah. And they can be direct blood family, or they can be family of your Absolutely. heart. They do not Absolutely. have to be re- relatives. So just fostering that. And that starts from a young age, but it's, it's really important to look around and see who can love my child. Like you cannot have enough people loving on your child. You cannot. And that was something that was brought home to me through the process of our divorce as well. You know, divorce Mm -hmm. by definition means that there are other people who are likely coming into your children's lives. The more people who care about my children, the bigger their circles are, the better for them. Absolutely. I want to shift a little bit because I know that mental health has been an important emphasis in your life and Mm -hmm. in your work as as a nurse and a health writer. And you really encourage parents to focus on mental and emotional health. And it's still this place where I wonder how we can get this moved to the front burner get this being, and I think, you know, maybe after having online school, there was more of a conversation about, you know, it's not about the academics. It's about their mental health right now. It's about their emotional health. It's not about whether they're able to do their times tables or not after this crazy school year that we've had. What are your thoughts on how do we get this to be more relevant every day? How do we incorporate this into our parenting and And also with that, I'll just give this to you and you can run with it too, is, you know, when do we worry? Just a couple questions there. No no big deal. No big deal. First of all, I think that this is one that families are going going to need to be on the forefront of. Uh, We all learned through the COVID pandemic uh, that mental health is extremely important. I think that was brought home for a lot of people in a way that it hadn't been before. Also, because we spent more time with our families, maybe we saw things that we didn't see previously Mm -hmm. when we all went off in different directions, right? I was hoping that this would maybe lead to a bit of a societal shift in we recognize the need to create healthy environments. And by healthy, I don't just mean physically healthy. I mean, mentally healthy. I mean that people have time to get enough sleep, that people have time to move, that People have uh, quiet places they can go. All the things that we know support mental health. And yet now that society is sort of starting to open up again and there's already, you know, pushes back into the office and let's talk about how school is going to look this fall. I really think we are going to have to prioritize it individually as families, Mm -hmm. which means we parents are on the front line. And I want all parents listening and you to tell all of your friends, it is up to you to prioritize your mental health and your child's. So if that means that something is going on at school, or if it is too much for this kid, this kid is literally melting down trying to finish this math assignment, it is not worth it in that moment. You can say no. And then you have to communicate that with with the teacher. You have to explain what you're seeing, what's happening. But if we don't start prioritizing mental health, 
it's not going to happen. Our system is not yet set up to support that. So it starts by us prioritizing it in our homes. And I'm not saying that you have to run out and get a diagnosis or do counseling or get med medication. All of those things are options. And frankly, I personally use all of those things to help support my mental health. But it begins with the basics, making sure that you have enough sleep, movement, access, outside time, all of those things. Prioritize those, seek extra support if you need it. Now, when to worry. I wish I had an easy, easy, easy definition mm -hmm. for you on that, but it's a matter of knowing your kid and yourself, frankly, because I'm not just talking about your kid's mental health. I'm talking about yours too. It's knowing what is normal, what is typical for a person. And when an individual begins to be struggling in their life and by struggling, that can be unable to do the things that they normally do, whether that is, you know, manage their uh, schoolwork and their time or you, your work and home responsibilities, unable to interact with friends. Maybe your kid or you used to regularly socialize and now just not up to it. Mm -hmm. When those kinds of changes have been going on for, you know, longer than a week or so, get curious. Like you said, get curious. Mm -hmm. If it's your kid, it's time for a conversation. If it's you, it's also time for a conversation. Reach out to some friends. If you have a spouse or a partner, ask them for their viewpoint. And then if needed, then you can go beyond that and reach out for some professional assistance. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about a couple of topics that we have woven into other conversations, but I want you to speak to them directly because I think that they don't get enough attention. And one of them is shame and embarrassment and how we all experience those things. But why do boys feel those two emotions a little differently or a little more deeply. Boys are acutely sensitive to shame and embarrassment, especially in this eight to 12 age range. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, masculinity and manhood in our culture has been traditionally something that you have to earn. You are constantly having to prove your masculinity. It's not just a matter of that you are male and therefore this is who you are. It has to be proven over and over and over again. And you and I have talked on the podcast before about how maybe it's time to shift that model. But this is where we're at. This is the culture that our boys are growing up in. So anytime you feel like you're falling short, that feels absolutely terrible. To feel like that you are not succeeding in basically being the person that you should be horrible feeling. Mm -hmm. Developmentally in this age range between eight and 12, kids are beginning to have the capacity to sense others' perspectives. So whereas your three-year-old son was likely happily running around the house naked, regardless of who was in the house, um, by the time they're older, they realize that other people have opinions. So when something happens, they're aware that it's not just that maybe they didn't reach this standard. So say they didn't um, perform well in their basketball game or do well on a test. Mm -hmm. They can sense that also you are disappointed in them and maybe their coach is disappointed in them and maybe their teammates are disappointed in them. So now it's coming at you from two, three, four, five different directions. 
Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a lot. It's a lot to deal with and process. Mm-hmm. And so what do you say to the boy who is uh, expressing disdain for himself, uh, even to the point of self-hatred? How does a parent navigate that? And it, and it does come out during this age for the things that you said, this, this new perspective taking. And I think also in this developmental phase, it's also that place of, you know, they're looking at the boy who might be a year older and is starting to develop a little bit and looking a little bit more like, you know, got six pack or whatever. And the differences are so dramatic. There can be huge difference between one 11 year old boy and another 11 year old boy, even if they have the same exact birthday. Mm-hmm. And now you, you know, you take boys who are a year or so apart in age and you put them in the same class. Ooh, that can be really stark and kind of devastating if you are comparing yourselves, which kids do. That's what they do. So how do we help them deal with this? Mm-hmm. What do we do when there's these uh, expressions of self-hatred and self-loathing? Uh, as a parent, these can be absolutely terrifying too. Yeah. Because sometimes this turns into kids saying things like, I wish I'd never been born. I hate myself. I hate myself. And as a parent, you want to freak out. Should I immediately be rushing my children to a psychiatric hospital? I don't know. I don't know. You know, these are the thoughts. Mm -hmm. I went through this with my oldest son to this day. I'll be honest, I'm still not sure if I responded appropriately. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you you don't want to just let your son tell you over and over, I hate myself, I'm a terrible person, but you can't totally shut him down either because by saying, oh no, you're great, I love everything about you, that doesn't give him room to express himself either. So this is a good time to use some of the active listening skills that I outline in the book to do some reflection Um, You're not going to say, wow, I hear you say you hate yourself. You might say, you sound really disappointed in yourself. Just wait a little bit and see what he says next and then go on to the next thing. If you know that it is uh, directly related to his performance in in a game or whatever, yeah, I can tell that uh, things didn't go the way you wanted them to today. Give him more room to speak. The other thing, we've both said this before, sometimes, often, Boys need a little bit of time to process before they're ready to talk about something. So you don't necessarily have to dig in deep in the moment. Maybe he needs silence on that walk home, on that ride home. Maybe he needs some time alone in his room. Maybe he needs to go on a bike ride around the block or to climb a tree and hide for a while. And maybe in a half hour, hour, couple hours later, he'll be ready to talk about it in a way he couldn't before. So the the last really specific topic that I want you to speak to is, again, around the development of such a dramatic difference in development for our boys. And at the same time, dramatic difference in development of our girls at the same time. And this can lead to social and sexual pressure from girls directed at your son. What is a mother to do? Uh, It is okay to cry. It is okay to freak out. It is okay to talk to your friends. Uh, You do need to kind of be aware of what's going on in your son's life and have conversations with him. As any parent knows, 
there is a world of developmental difference between the average seventh grade girl and the average seventh grade boy. And both are being fed all these messages by the culture that this is what you should do to get attention. And sometimes that can be a little bit inappropriate. Um, keep the lines open. Let your son know that it's okay to not be interested in dating anybody. It's okay if he doesn't want to engage in a sexual relationship or in kissing or in handholding. Ideally, you have been having conversations about appropriate and internet usage, about your family values. Ideally, you've already talked about things like, uh, you know, we shouldn't be sharing nude pictures. Reiterate all of those things. Mm -hmm. Reiterate them again and again and again. Support your son. And it's so helpful if you have relationships with the other parents of the other kids in your kid's circle, because mm -hmm. now you've got a little bit more power because when everybody sort of has the same rules and guidelines, it gets a little bit easier. Yeah, we cannot do this alone. Absolutely. No, we can't. And that is a big part of why I wrote this book, why I do this podcast, because if we can share this information with each other, if we all are working off of the same basic set of facts, the same basic values of this is what it takes to raise a great guy, it gets easier. Mm -hmm. It gets easier. Well, this book is definitely making it easier for those first time moms and dads going through and this, dads and dads yes. going through this uh, new stage of development that is so different. Tell us where our listeners can find this book. The book is The First Time Mom's Guide to Raising Boys. It is available on Amazon in both Kindle and the print edition. You can go directly to Amazon and find it. You know I'm going to put a link in the show notes, Janet. Yes, and, I do. <laughs> and it is also on my Building Boys website. I will have live links everywhere so that you can get a copy of the book. It makes a great gift for friends that are struggling through this uh, developmental stage as well. I just want to say it is a fabulous read. I have read it cover to cover and uh, of course, highly recommended for me and Jen, congratulations. Thank you. Wow. What a thrill to get to interview my podcast co-host and friend, Jennifer L.W. Fink for her new book. And also remember, if you have a fourth through eighth grader and they're struggling with school or they need a little extra support, a little more educational coaching, that is what Prisma is all about. Go to joinprisma.com and that is going to give you all the information you need and tell them that On Boys sent you. Thanks again for being our listeners. We love you. If you love this podcast, if you benefit from it, won't you share it with a friend? That will help us grow our reach. And again, be sure to look for Jen's book.
This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.